Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Kick this one off. I'm about to be doing a lot of spider videos, articles, and podcasts in the next couple weeks because unfortunately due to the COVID-19 coronavirus that's going around, they have closed most of the schools in my state for, well, indefinitely. We originally got two, uh, two weeks and then they said a minimum of two weeks. So God only knows where this one's going to end up and how long we're going to be out. Really strange times, kind of surreal. We went to school on Friday. The kids were all amped up because we've been tracking the cases across the state. Obviously, this has been all that's been in the media. And one by one, school started to close and we had heard nothing. And then next thing you know, Friday afternoon, we get the announcement that we're, we're done. Pack up your stuff. Don't come back during work. They're going to do deep cleaning, all that stuff. So really, really odd times. You know, Obviously, I'm not that young. Billy and I are not that young. But we're talking about we've never seen anything like this before. Very odd. So I'm not going to turn and we're going to get away from that. But just a heads up, it's going to need more content because I'm going to, looks like I'm going to lose a decent chunk of my summer vacation where I end up usually doing the majority of the Tom's Big Spider stuff. That's usually where I get a lot of stuff done, bank a lot of videos, bank some podcasts, get some articles done, and I'm going to be losing some of that. So I'm going to try to get it done now. So look for me to be a little more prolific in the future, hopefully catch up on some emails because I'm really behind on emails. And uh, try to keep things upbeat so we can forget about this stuff that's going on in the news because it hasn't been pretty lately. So anyway, to kick this one off, I did the video or I did a, a podcast and then a video and then an article or an art, article podcast video. I think that's the order it went in, whatever, about moisture dependent species because I know there's been a lot of, you know, there. it's confusing. You get a lot of information out there. You hear a lot of people talk about, you know, how difficult they are to keep. Years ago, the people, I think, when they kept moisture-dependent species would go over the top to the point where they end up killing a lot of species because they would add too much moisture or they'd put them in stuffy containers, which would kill them. I mean, one species that comes to mind that I think we probably did more harm than good trying to keep things moist was the Therophosa blondi, where a lot of people would put them in cages with not a lot of ventilation. They'd restrict ventilation. They would soak the substrate down. I mean, you see some of these old videos of them, and they're just like in marshes. And then these spiders would die, and they go, oh, they're so difficult to keep. And I do think that was a big part of it. And I think a lot of people now believe that some of the moisture-dependent species we've kept, we killed because of overdoing it. So anyway... I figured, why not put something together and try to put people's minds at ease? Because I think the first species I got... Now, mind you, this isn't even one most people consider moisture-dependent anymore, You'll, depending on what you read. But Elysiodora parahybana was the first species I got that everything I was reading was telling me I had to keep them moist at all times. So I was obsessing over this poor thing. I joke that I'm surprised the thing is still alive because of the fact that... I, like. Every time that substrate, the top of that substrate would dry up, I'd be spraying. Then I moved into the adding water by pouring it in there because, again, when you start off by reading some care sheets and stuff, everything talks about misting and spraying. It's it's not so prevalent now. It was back when I really started getting serious in the hobby. Everybody would always talk about misting, misting, misting. If you look now, there's many YouTubers that talk about misting. And I don't do that anymore. I, you know, do the make it rain thing. So anyway, I obsessed over it to the point where I'm amazed that I didn't do serious damage. So I get it and I get the stress that comes with it. You, Especially when you start off for the first time after keeping arid species where it's not a big deal. It's not even a concern. You drop in a water dish, you sprinkle a little water on the webbing. Some people don't even put any water in at all. And it's very easy to just kind of, what is it, set them, forget them. Wasn't that a slogan for something? You just kind of set them up and you forget about them. And you go and you don't worry about it. When you introduce moisture to the mix, it becomes... It, it's seemingly a much more difficult task, a much more difficult duty to keep these guys alive and healthy. So 
when I write this stuff, I literally, the, what I do is try to take in all the information I get from folks that email me or message me because this is obviously a popular topic. And I also am able to or like to think back to when I first got into the things that I would have loved to seen or read or watched or heard. So for me, it's like, all right, when I was first getting into the hobby, what, how could I write a video that would answer all my questions? So that's what we do. And I try to anticipate everything that's said, and I try to look at both sides when it's something that's an, you know, an argument or one of those you know, tarantula controversies where people can't seem to agree on things. Anyway, so I post the video up on YouTube, and it, people seem to really dig it. it. It's doing very well, and I'm glad because sometimes I do videos that I really want to hit a wider audience because I really – it's not about views. I think they'll help people out. I think there's something like when I did the sling one on sling husbandry. I had received so many questions about slings, and I had gone through such a stressful time when I kept my first slings. I really wanted to put something out there that would help people out, and I wanted to see it get play only because that meant that people were getting information. Hopefully, it would help calm them down, make the hobby a little less stressful. So that was this was kind of one of those videos for me where I'm like, hopefully, this will be one of the ones that picks up a little bit. You know, there's certain ones I put up. And I know they're going to get a certain number of views and then people that are interested are going to move on and it's going to have, you know, I don't, it's not a big deal to me. It's just, it's something I want to produce and I know the people that are looking for this species will enjoy it and that's it. But there's other ones that it's like, all right, I hope this one kind of gets out there. So it's, it's doing well, which is great. And I love the fact that I was finally able to do the article podcast and the YouTube video together so people have a choice of what they want to to catch or get their information from. So I put it up, everything's going great. And then I get a post the other day and from somebody that I watch and a YouTuber that, and I want to make this very clear, this isn't meant to be a video that's attacking anybody. I really just wanted a brought up an interesting point and one that I would like to discuss today. And I want to make it very clear that if anybody did see this one, I'm not calling out the name because, well, he went back and deleted it. I think I'll explain the situation. He posted on it with all the respect, something long, and I tried to get it, unfortunately, delete it, so I don't have the original thing, and I was going to screenshot it because I had a funny feeling after he answered it was going to get deleted, and I had already decided I wanted to cover this in my podcast, but with all respect, the moisture thing is a myth or something along those lines, so... I read it and I called Billy over and I'm like, uh, I, I, good dude. I've you know watched his videos before. He's always commenting on my really funny guy. And I wasn't sure where he was going with that. So first, my first thought was perhaps he's talking about the fact, and I've covered this before and we'll, and we'll probably address it a little bit in this podcast. F there are many species that when we first get into the hobby, we label as moisture dependent species. And then as we keep them more and more, we realize that the moisture part is kind of optional or they don't seem to necessarily need it or in some cases they don't even want it. So again, we go back to Lasiodora. Any of the genus Lasiodora, as a matter of fact, when you look at early care sheets, it always talks about moist substrate, moist substrate, they need moist substrate. They're a Brazilian species. They're from a, an area where it's quite moist. So logic would dictate that they're going to require moist substrate. Unfortunately, or fortunately enough, we've learned over the years that the slings, all slings generally appreciate some moist substrate. But as for the adults, they can do it dry. They, a lot of people keep them dry with just a water dish with zero issues with molting, zero issues with eating, zero issues with behavior. I have my large female right now. I will go and moisten down part of the substrate when I go, you know, once a couple, we, every couple weeks or so, I'll moisten down part of it. She doesn't seem to care. She doesn't hang over the moist part. It's more just to give her that option and keep a little extra moisture in there for when it's dry. But that's a species now that we recognize 
doesn't necessarily need it. The other genus that comes to mind, P. Slytheria. When you read the earlier stuff, I had a lot of people tell me they won't keep P. Slytheria because of all the moisture requirements. And I've, again, they're ones that they come from areas where there's obviously flooding, but they come from areas also where it can dry out. So they, they experience both. In the wintertime, I like to keep them partially moist. But in the summer, I let it dry out, keep a water dish. So again, another species that you don't have to be as attentive to the moisture requirements. So when I read this comment, my initial, like I'm trying to figure out where is he going with this? My initial thought was he's probably talking about the fact that with a lot of species, it really isn't necessary. And that could have been a really intriguing discussion and one that I would have loved to pin on the, the, the comment section. You can pin certain comments so everybody gets to see them. It would have been a cool one to actually talk about. But unfortunately, his response back was that basically the whole moisture thing is a myth that look at what we did. He, he brought up specifically avicularia species and said that look at how many people were killing them, keeping them moist. The majority of them don't need any of that or something that I wish to gosh I had screenshotted this so I could have the exact quote. But his, his idea was the fact that we shouldn't be bothering with moisture. The whole moisture thing is kind of a myth. They don't really need it. And that we do more harm than good with it. So that was a tricky one because this is now we got this like, uh oh, kind of icky because I do not agree with this at all. Although with the with the species he brought up, that was obviously a problem. We had the avicularia for years, which also at that time included Caribbean versicolor. We talk about sad, sudden avicularia death syndrome where an avicularia would suddenly die. Well, basically the long and short of it, and I'm sure you all probably have heard this thing by now, but we were keeping them super moist, restricting ventilation. They were getting stuffy enclosures and that kills them faster than anything. And then people figured out that if you gave them airy enclosures, again, not necessarily, there are still some people that keep them moist. They just make sure they have good ventilation going through. There has to be a lot of cross ventilation so the air doesn't get stuffy. And then there are some people that keep them dry with a water dish with good ventilation. I kept my Versicolor, when I first got her as a sling, I would moisten just a corner of the substrate. It was one of those Jamie's enclosures that kind of had that little wire vent in the front. So it was getting some decent, not cross ventilation, I'll throw that out there. It was not good cross ventilation, but she did just fine. And I had picked her up like in October. So she went through the whole winter in rather dry conditions overall, not completely dry, but you know, not, I wasn't worried about the moisture level and did fine. So that I can see where that's going. But the fact that somebody has taken that to mean that the entire moisture dependency thing is not true is a little scary to me because that shows how some of that misinformation out there starts to take root. And then you have a situation, what scares me, and again, he's a good, I, I, I want to make this very, very clear. Good guy, I've never had a single issue with him. And I wish we could have continued this conversation. I'm, I'm going to try to comment on some more of his videos and hopefully maybe tease it out. And But I, I felt the need to really respond. Like I'm sitting there looking at Billy like, oh, here we go. Here's one of my long tirades, which I wasn't angry, but I just felt like if you put up a video and somebody comes on, and says, basically, the topic you're talking about is a fraud, that kind of means that the video you just made is a fraud and misinformation. And that's a tough one for me to swallow because I know for a fact it's not. So I needed to respond, and I needed to respond in a way that left no no chance of somebody reading this dialogue back and forth and walking away going, oh, I can just keep everything dry now. So I'm going to have, what I'm going to do is go through kind of the response that I made to him because it kind of covers all my points and then finish the rest of the story. But I do think it's an interesting topic because this is a prime example of why I do what I do and why I enjoy doing what I'm doing and, and trying to make you know the hobby easier for people and trying to dispel some of that misinformation or in some cases giving people more information so they can make more educated guesses when it's like a gray area topic. So anyway, here the response was basically as follows. 
Oh, and and before we get into that, the other aspect you made that I forgot because I just pulled out my notes, like a ding dong should uh, beforehand, is he specifically mentioned humidity twice, and the entire. If anybody's read the article or listened to the podcast or seen the video, the whole thing is about why we're not talking about humidity. I basically say the H word's a dirty word in the hobby, and we don't want to do that. So, my my first response was I was wondering sometimes what happens is people see a video topic, they immediately assume it's going to be about one thing, and then they they remark and they don't bother watching the video to see that maybe. Maybe they misunderstood. So I thought maybe he was under the impression it was a video about humidity. So I'm not sure where where it went. But here my response was as follows. Hey, bud, out of curiosity, did you watch the video? I specifically said that I'm not talking about humidity. I don't even measure humidity in my enclosures. I also speak about the importance of good ventilation, which would increase airflow and reduce humidity. This is not a video about humidity. As for avicularias, widely recognized now that folks were keeping them too moist and more importantly in stuffy enclosures without adequate ventilation. It wasn't as much about the moisture as it was about the lack of airflow. Also, if you've been around for a while, the C. cayenopubescens was another species that had a reputation for being very fragile and dying easily. The reason why was that folks were originally keeping them in moist, stuffy enclosures, which was killing them. However, that's two species out of the close to 1,000 we have identified. Are there arid species or species that do just fine on dry substrate with a water dish? Of course. I'm certainly not arguing that. I have several in my collection that I don't bother moistening the substrate for. However, insinuating that moisture dependency is a myth is quite dangerous, in my opinion, misguided line of thinking. I'm not sure exactly what you keep, but there are some genera that will do poorly if kept completely dry. Therophosa, Chilobrachis, Cyriopegapus, Lampropelma, and Omeothymus species all require moist substrate. And there are obviously many others that could be added to that list. I can't even begin to tell you the number of folks who have contacted me over the years asking why their specimens died mysteriously, only to show me photos of dry enclosures. A few years ago, a keeper shared a similar sentiment with me and decided that he was going to try an experiment and keep, as he put it, the so-called moisture-dependent species on dry substrate with just water dishes. I all begged him not to try it, but he was convinced that the moisture-dependency thing was bogus. He started with three C. lividus, two T. stermi, and two O. velocipes. He picked them up in October, and by January, he was down to one C. lividus, one T. stermi, and one O. velocipes. Of the ones that died, he found two curled up, dehydration, and two died during or after molting. The last I heard from him, the other T. stermi had died as well. The fact is, many species need moisture in order to thrive and to molt properly. That's not a myth. Although folks in humid regions don't need to bother as much with moisture requirements due to the natural climate being perfect for them, other people need to be aware of this during the long, dry winter months. If not, they end up with dead spiders. I have some spiders that will seemingly avoid moist substrate too. That's not uncommon at all. I also have others that will park themselves over a moist corner or burrow to reach the moist lower levels. Just yesterday, I moistened down a corner of my Pioratus enclosure, and my girl immediately took to burrowing in that spot. She obviously appreciates a bit of moisture. As I write this, my adult female B. albopelosum is sitting on a moist corner I gave her in the video I just posted. The need for moisture can vary from species to species, and even specimen to specimen. And while we're at it, let us not forget that most slings require some moisture as well. Slings lack the waxy coating that helps protect juveniles and adults from drying out. Most species of slings are very susceptible to dehydration. I personally found that if you give many slings moist substrate on the bottom and dry on the top, they will burrow to reach the moist substrate. Years ago, I had an Afonopelma annex sling that I had been told needed dry substrate. 
The poor thing did no burrowing, didn't use a hide, and just cowered in the corner of its enclosure. For weeks, it barely moved and wouldn't eat. Finally, I used a stylus to make a furrow down the side of the enclosure, and I poured some water in so that it soaked the bottom inch of substrate. The next morning, I discovered they had gone down the tunnel and dug an expansive burrow in the moist sub. That night, it ate for the first time. If I hadn't moistened that substrate down, I would have had a dead sling. Are there species that we once considered moisture-dependent that we now know are more adaptable to drier conditions? Absolutely. Formictopus, Lasiodora, and Pisolotheria species immediately come to mind. Might we discover more as we get more experience with these animals? Sure. However, I have to say that I find the idea that moisture dependency is a myth to be quite dangerous and easily refutable. So anyway, I'm sorry for reading the, the thing verbatim, but I have a, I can either go like off script or on script. There's no in between and I didn't want to fiddle around with it. So I figured the best way to do it is just read what my response was and go from there. So unfortunately, what I was hoping would happen is we'd have a dialogue and maybe some education going on where we could, you know, kind of talk out this thing and, and tease out where the issue was. And he did come back and somebody else responded in my defense or, you know, in defense of moisture dependent species saying that I wasn't talking about humidity. That's a different thing. Nobody does humidity. It's more moisture dependency or not moisture dependency and his response was something along the lines of what's the difference something about well either you're getting it through the substrate or water vapor in the air what is the difference or something like that not it wasn't a rude response but kind of indicating that maybe he was more along like advocating for humid enclosures I'm not sure because unfortunately what happened was I pinned this one because when somebody when something like this happens when somebody comes onto a video and basically says something that that calls the whole validity of the video into question. I don't. I, I have to defend it. I have to give my opinion on it, or in this case, you know, share some facts that I'm I'm well aware of that dispel this idea that it's a myth. And I don't want it to be buried because I want people to see the discussion. So. What happened was I pinned it because I thought this was going to turn into a long discussion. Now, what I thought about afterwards, this is an individual that has his own YouTube channel and probably didn't want to be seen on my channel in an, what, what could be perceived to be an argument. Now, full, you know, for the record, was not arguing at all. It was more, I was in debate mode, like, all right, and I was in a, all right, this is dangerous information as far as I'm concerned. If people, if one person went on and went, and there are people out there that get into the hobby that want, they want things easy. They do, they want to do things the easy way. They try to reinvent the wheel to make things easier for them. Like that individual I was talking about with the specimens that he was going to kind of keep dry, it came down to, he said, it's a pain to try to keep these things moist. I don't think they really need it. So I'm going to do an experiment and prove that they don't even need moisture, that we're all wasting our time. And he ended up with a bunch of dead slings. It was disgusting. It made no sense whatsoever. He wouldn't listen to reason. So there are people like that out there that will see a comment like that and go, well, this guy probably knows what he's talking about. I guess I don't need to keep my guys moist anymore. And then we end up with dead spiders. And that's, you know, Tom's Big Spiders is all about preventing dead spiders. So I I pinned it to the top. I was ready to go. And like, I was hoping it would turn into a debate because I still wasn't exactly sure where he was coming from with the argument. I, we had humidity thrown around like it was a bad thing. We had air vapor thrown around like it was a good thing. I don't know if he was questioning why keeping moist substrate would be any different than humid. I don't know because unfortunately he came, he said, I don't want to get in an argument or a fight or something like that and, and deleted the whole comment thread, which stunk because I really wanted this. This is the type of stuff that can be really educational for people. People, but 
if I had a YouTube channel and I, you know, said something, made a comment and, and the person came back and it was going to be highly publicized because it was at the top of the comments, I guess I'd probably be a little like, uh-oh, too. But I wasn't going to be mean about it. I just really wanted to find out where his mind was because I'm sure if he thinks this, there are other people that think this. So to be clear about the moisture dependency thing, it's it's not a joke. It's not, there are species out there and I've been privy to more situations, always involving species like Theraphosa, the Chilobrachis species, C. lividus comes up a bit, Omothymus, all the ones that we've, you know, the ones you don't play with as far as moisture is concerned. I get more emails and comments. I got one a few weeks ago. It was somebody picked up a Velocipes and they're like, does this look okay? I, I don't know what's wrong with it. It's sluggish. And what they showed me was pictures of a barren, dry enclosure with a just about dead Velocipes juvenile that was stretched out, probably desperately looking for moisture. It's not a myth. Some of these guys we have found actually need it. I think what causes confusion sometimes is the fact that if you read older care sheets, they'll tell you certain species need it that now a lot of people keep try. One that a popular one now that people talk about, and I'm still not totally sold on this one, is Hopalopus species Columbia Large. I'm about to produce a video for that one for my featured species ones. I've had I've kept a lot of them and bred mine. And what happened was when they first came out, everybody kept them moist. And then suddenly it came out like, no, nope, they don't need moisture. When they get a little older, they're fine. But I also hear a lot of you know mysterious adult deaths and adults having issues molting, which would point to a lack of moisture. So that's one of those species that people now are trying to push it and trying to say, all right, can we keep them dry? And it seems like the results are mixed. So moisture dependency, obviously not a myth. Uh, again, I think as we get more experience in the hobby and more experience with keep them, keeping them, people experiment a bit more. And keep in mind, the, the, the funny thing is, if you think about, say, the C. cyanopubicans, when I first got into the hobby, there was a lot of literature out there saying that they needed to be kept really moist. And when they, if people remember when they first came into the hobby, there was a lot of information out there saying they were very difficult to keep. Now, for any of us who have raised them, they are like bullet, they're like OBTs as far as bullet, they're bulletproof. They're so ridiculously resilient. They don't, they require arid conditions. They do very well. They grow quickly. They're very difficult to kill. But back in the day, people were keeping them super moist. They were dropping like flies. People were keeping them even... Because think about what happens. You find out it's a moisture-dependent species. You're keeping it moist, and suddenly your thing dies. And you go, oh, I guess I wasn't keeping it moist enough. So you get another one, and what do you do? You keep it even more moist. And that perpetuates that bad husbandry. Well... If you think about it, somewhere along the line, somebody really went against the grain and went, you know what, I'm going to try keeping this thing bone dry and see what happens. And most people would freak out to do that. Imagine if somebody all of a sudden just said, you know, T. Blondie, let's just keep them bone dry and see what happens. Well, they did it and it worked and they shared it. And I'm sure a bunch of people were like, no, you can't keep them like that. You're going to end up with dead ones. But then other people started doing it. Same thing with uh, Caribbean Versicolor. The first folks that came out and said, hey guys, you got to give them good ventilation and lay off on the moisture a bit. People were like, what? that's not how you keep them. You're going to end up with dead ones. And then whew, suddenly it works. So it kind of takes some experimentation. The sad part that we don't talk about is I'm sure there are many cases where people go to experiment with ones. They try to, you know, reduce the amount of moisture. They try to try to increase the amount of moisture and we end up with a bunch of dead spiders because it doesn't work. So that's always got to be in the back of our minds. But with the moisture dependency thing, guys, don't play around with the ones that we know are moisture dependent. I think that the best advice I give, like the long and short of it, if you have a moisture dependent species, Add, make it rain and increase your ventilation. That's the best way to keep things from getting too nasty. And don't go around experimenting. I don't know, you know, I, I understand that there are species out there 
that we kept too humid. I understand there are species out there we kept too moist, but to make the statement that moisture dependency is a myth and spiders don't need it, that's a very dangerous thing to do. And again, I know there are also folks out there, I've talked to folks, I talked to uh, somebody years ago that was keeping T. stermy for a while. And he raised a bunch of them up, never kept them on moist substrate, kept them dry substrate with a couple water dishes and was doing fine with them. Now, it was working for him. I never did get like, I, I remember inquiring upon uh, about where he lived because I was wondering if it was a place that was naturally humid and I never got the answer back. But he was explaining how he's kept them for years like this. I wouldn't be willing to try that yet. And here's the deal. It's like you always get, again, it comes down to that risk versus reward. Is it worth risking keeping them dry if you're going to end up with a dead spider? And is it worth it when we know that, all right, they do just fine. Like T-Stermy, you don't have to go crazy with the moisture. You give them, you know, half the substrate moist or the bottom level's moist, a large water dish, they do fine. It's really not that much extra work. Do we really need to cut out any more work? And that's I think the biggest issue I have is in this instance with this individual uh, responding to the comment, I don't think he was trying to be a troll at all. I want to make that very clear. I think he literally came to the conclusion that he doesn't have to do it. And one of the things he said that he keeps 40 species and a lot of his avoid the moisture, which is fine. I don't know what species he kept, but again, we didn't get any further into this. But that's where you start to. That's where I start to worry when people get these, you know, these false positives where they keep a bunch of species and they go, well, none of these seem to like moisture, so I guess all spiders don't like moisture. That's crazy. That's that's some flawed logic right there, and that's going to end up with a lot of dead spiders. And I do encounter this a lot with people that are getting into the hobby that for some reason think that the years of amassed experience that we have as a hobby for husbandry and how to take care of these guys should be completely disregarded or they either don't bother reading it or they read it and decide, nope, this is all wrong. I'm going to do it my way. That's a dangerous precedent. And that's where I worry that people see stuff like this on a comment. They see, oh, well, this guy has his own YouTube channel. He keeps spiders and he keeps his completely dry. I'm going to do the same thing. And then you end up with dead spiders. And then I end up with emails going, I don't understand why my alveolospis or oveolospis, excuse me, is dead. I, I kept it exactly like these people said with, you know, dry substrate and no water. It's just, it, it puts out more misinformation there. So anyway, the point of sharing this one was, is, I guess it was a reminder. Every once in a while, I sit back and I go, you know what? I have the website that's fairly active. I have a lot of YouTube videos out there. I would definitely consider to do the podcast, continue to do the podcast just because it's fun. I feel like I'm having conversations about spiders every morning. But I, I, there are moments I'm like, is this really needed? Like, do I, do I really need to do this anymore? Have I made my point? Have I, you know, this, to hear how many people come out and say I've helped them get in the hobby and that they appreciate my help and everything has just been amazing. And it's like, all right, mission accomplished. And then something like this happens. It's like, no, it's never going to be done. It's like, there's, as long as there's stuff, people posting stuff like that out there and kind of missing the point with some of these things, there's going to be a place for what I do. So I guess in a way it's validating. It's like, all right, you know what? This isn't a total waste of time because somebody needs to take an upon themselves to combat this kind of stuff. So anyway, unfortunately, this this would have been a much, I really, really wish it hadn't been deleted because I, I turned to Billy, I go, well, we have our next podcast. And 
it got deleted and I lost all the original, you know, his original messages. And again, I apologize. And if this individual is listening again, but no hard feelings whatsoever, I just, I would have loved to have continued the dialogue. I get why you pulled it, but I really wish this could have turned into, because I'm, again, for me to teach correctly, I need to know what people are thinking. I need to know how they're reasoning. That's one of the things with teaching is you try to predict where people are going to argue against something or say something's too hard or say they don't get it. You try to predict that so you're ready with your response for it. And if this is, if one individual has somehow walked away from all they've read thinking that the whole humidity requirement, I'm sorry, the whole moisture dependency requirement thing is a myth, there are probably many others and it doesn't take long for those type of things to gain some traction and start going around where all of a sudden it's like, hey, have you heard? I've heard that you don't even have to keep these things moist. So it's nice to know where the, I want to hear where the logic comes from. Where, where, What is their line of thinking so that I can formulate my responses in a way that will reach people without it coming across like I'm bullying or being contradictory or just trying to start an argument. I never, my goal when I'm in these little debates is to not have it become something that's not a civil, it's not civil discourse. I want a nice civil, like, hey, I, it's not fake. We're having a discussion here, like two intelligent human beings. So sometimes it's better when I know what people are thinking, when I know what the mindset is behind some of the, you know, alternative arguments, it makes it easier for me to argue it. Unfortunately, I don't. So if any of you have heard anything like this, please feel free to chime in. This is a first for me that I've heard the whole moisture dependency thing called a myth. Again, I'm going to try to reach out and hopefully with this individual, you know, my theory is he can be reached and that we can kind of discuss it. But I have met these people that they get an idea in their head and they just, they put on the blinders to any information that would prove them you know, prove otherwise. And honestly, if you watch the news and what's going on today, there's many, many, many people like that out there. So we'll see. And I'll obviously keep people updated if it goes anywhere further than that. Now to move along to our second topic, this one is going to be a timely one. And hopefully years from now, we'll be looking back at this and laughing. But I've had a couple people inquire about what to do when you have a tarantula collection and now with the whole COVID-19 issue, you know, the coronavirus going around and people that are being quarantined or hospitalized, they brought up a very good point where what do you do if you have a large tarantula collection and you are hospitalized and you can't take care of your collection? Now, obviously, if, if that's the case, worry about your health. I mean, you have to worry about your health, but that's not to say that there shouldn't be some type of contingency plan. And, you know, this coronavirus thing aside, with any type of illness or sickness, and God only knows, you know, gosh, I hope everybody out there is healthy and happy. But when something happens that you end up hospitalized for a long period of time, that can cause extra stress knowing that your animals are at home and that you're not able to properly care for them. Because of course, with tarantulas, you don't need day-to-day care like you do with, say, your dogs, your cats, your hamsters, your birds, whatever it may be. But they also need to be, you know, we just got off of talking about moisture-dependent species, moisture-dependent species, depending on the time of the year, those enclosures are going to evaporate and dry out. You want to make sure that they're at least checked on occasionally. So we've actually, you know, obviously anybody that watches my channel knows that Billy is fairly involved now with the filming and helping out with stuff. She's actually, she's taken that turn from going into just kind of listening to me yammer on to taking an interest in them. She knows a lot of the species now. There's kind of a little game. We pull something out. She tries to guess it. And again, she hasn't, 
She hasn't been doing this as long as I have, so she doesn't know them all yet, but she's getting very good with recognizing scientific names and then immediately recognizing what spider that represents. Because a lot of times when we move from the common to scientific, we it's almost like you're translating. It's like when I try to speak Spanish, I'm usually trying to translate the English to Spanish in my head. It doesn't come naturally. A lot of times when you're learning scientific names, you think of the common name first and then try to come up with the other one or vice versa. So anyway... She is very involved in it, and we have talked about the fact that, God forbid, something should happen to me, and I'm you know, not around for a while or something. Would she be able to care for him? So we haven't gone through this yet, and that's something we're going to start doing going ahead. But having someone, again, if you have a significant other, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be, that's obviously the probably the most ideal place to start is having them kind of watch what you do with feedings and, and care. Watch what, you know, make a list perhaps. I mean, one thing I would do right off the bat is make a list of your moisture dependent species and show them how to add water. That would be an important one. I would show them how to, you know, again, if you're only gone for a month or so, if a couple boluses build up, so be it. You probably don't want them fiddling in the cages too much, but they should probably have a, at least a rudimentary understanding of old world versus new world. This is a species that you can open the cage and you're in good shape. This is a species you want to be more careful. You're going to want to make sure they are with you when you do some feeding. So that's the big one, I think, is having somebody that's at least somewhat interested in the hobby or lives with you that can be with you when you do your maintenance. Have them, you know, just sit there and try to explain some of the things you're doing. Like, for example, we had the ovulosophies out the other day, and I was explaining to Billy how when I pour the water in, I'm very careful to pour the water so it goes down underneath. We don't want to flood the burrow because if you flood the burrow, the spider comes shooting out, and you don't want that. You want to make sure the water dish is full. I was able to explain how often I have to do this. So things of that nature. So planning ahead, have the the most important thing, have somebody, a close relative, if you're older and have an older child, like obviously I have my 24-year-old who could also help. He could come over and do some of this stuff too. If you have an older child, that would help. Uh, A friend that's into the hobby, uh, you know, a lot of folks I talk about have friends that come over and help them with rehousings or relatives that come over with rehousings. Well, when they come over one day, try to see if they'd be open to be kind of the surrogate parent, so to speak, if something were to happen to you and you weren't able to take care of your collection. So have them come over, have them do some rehousings with you, spend some time with them, have them do some feedings, show them what to do. Give them an idea of the basic care that's required. Because if you think about it, they're not that difficult to take care of. It's You need to be warned of the ones that you got to be a little more careful with. You want to teach them things like always having catch cups handy. That's an important one. I mean, we, I think we've all learned the lesson that you never know when something's going to go and bolt. And then if you don't have a catch cup handy, it's that mad scramble to keep an eye on the spider and grab one. So things of that nature. So what I would do is I would first identify a person that's going to fit this mold. Who's going to be your backup person should something go wrong? Is it going to be the wife? Is it going to be a child, you know, older child? Again, please keep in mind that if you have old world species, I would not have your younger children dealing with them, regardless of how safe they may be. That's just my personal opinion. Older children, though, like my 24-year-old, he's, he's been working with me with them for years on and off, so he knows what he's doing. Um when you get that person, have a conversation. Is this something you'd feel comfortable doing? Most people would love to, especially if they've shown an interest in them. Most would have no problem. And again, it, you're not planning for an inevitable thing. You're planning for just in case something should happen. I should be, you know, in the hospital or, you know, not able to care for them for a little while. You'd be able to help with the care of them. And then set up some times where you can, because this isn't something you pick up once. I, I, 
I think those of us who are in the hobby, we get it down to such a, our own little personal science or how we take, you know, I, I know I have my way of pulling them out, putting them on the dinner table. I pull out boluses. I look for any, you know, possible dead gray remains. I do my, if they need water, I do the watering and fill the water dishes, clean the water dishes if needed, add moisture if I need to, make it rain. And then I put it back up, do it all again. Have people with you a couple times doing that. In a lot of cases, you know, wives, mates, or whatever are going to have probably been in the room and, and kind of like, I know originally when before Billy was helping with the filming, she was always popping by, which one's that? What does this one do? How's this one doing? Oh, that one's pretty. There was always that interest in there, but what we started doing is she started paying a little bit more attention. All right, this is how I do it. This is what I look for. This is what happens when I feed. This is how I tell if they're ready to eat. Set some time aside. Have them spend some time with you. At least, you know, I would say the more, the better. The more times they can spend time with you feeding, doing maintenance, all that stuff, the better. But have them spend some time with you doing this stuff, going through it. Have them try some themselves. I'm telling you, just catching prey items can be tricky enough. I, I you know, I can grab the crickets. No pride. Love. It's like a little game I play trying to grab the crickets. Is like Miyagi trying to catch the fly in Karate Kid, the original one, not the terrible remake. Give them opportunities to practice. Give them opportunities to see how things move. The more experience they can get around those animals, the better. Now, one thing that a lot of us don't do or sometimes I, I'm guilty of is we have a couple in our collection that we we know exactly which spider it is, so we haven't labeled it yet. Make sure all your stuff is labeled. That's that's an important one. And Billy's given me a hard time about this before because sometimes what will happen is like I can look at a spider and I know what it is, so it's not as important that I label it, but she's like, you know what, if anything happens, I have to take care of these. I don't know what the heck that is. So make sure everything's labeled. I know people that use a, they use those little red circular, those little circular colored stickers that you can get like red, yellow, and green. They will put a green on a new world or a species that's fairly laid back. They will put red on the more dangerous ones. That's a nice way to kind of color code your collection so people know what they're opening if they have to take care of them when you're not there. And then having descriptions, having things that tell people, you know, a little guide, so to speak, instruction book of what you do with your collection would not hurt. Having breaking out a camera and having somebody record it, you know, that's another, I mean, the good thing is, God forbid, if anything should happen to me, there is so much footage and so much stuff out there that Billy could hop online and just see exactly what I do with that species because I have video of it. But having somebody follow you around during feeding time with a camera and go like, all right, here's how I do it. I take it, I put it on the table. First, I look for a bullet. I make sure the spider is hidden over here so it doesn't come out and, you know, mistake me tooling around in its enclosure for food. Then I take out the water dish, I clean it, fill it back up. And then if it's a moisture dependent species, I add some water this way. Visuals are a very powerful way to, you know, explain something to somebody, a very powerful thing for somebody that is like, maybe they've gone with you a couple times or sat with you a couple times while you've done feedings, but they're not quite sure. Having that there on their phone and being able to look at it, you know, you could make it, put it up on YouTube, make it one of those hidden videos where it's like a private video so only they have the link and they can go through and have you there guiding them as they go through it. Great way to do it. So uh, that would be another way to go about it, making those videos so if somebody has to, you know, take over for you, they've got that for a backup. And again, in the videos, you would just focus on your basic stuff, removing boluses. I wouldn't even, that wouldn't even be the most important thing for me. The, the big thing would be recognizing which ones need to make sure they have moisture added. That would be incredibly important. And my trick would be, I would probably take down all the ones and go, these are the ones you need to make sure of. You can even put something on the enclosures, like in the style of those little round stickers that indicates moisture dependency, moisture dependent species. So they know they got to spend extra time with that. So 
Again, with any of this, I think the key is preparing ahead of time and not waiting until, you know, obviously this isn't something you just want to spring on somebody. Hey, buddy, I got to go to the hospital. I have to have, you know, something done or, hey, I'm sick. I'm now quarantined in the hospital. Could you do me a favor and go over and and take care of my spiders? That's not something you can just hop into. A lot of people are afraid of them, obviously. A lot of people, even if they're not afraid of them, are not going to get the, the rather simple routines that we do unless they are shown them. So, uh, to encapsulate, find that one person that's going to back or two people, whatever it may be, that can back you up. Spend some time with them. Have them over while you're feeding if they're not living in your household. If they're in your household, honey, whatever it may be, come on over. Let's let's do some feedings. Let me show you how this is done so that you're familiar with it. If Again, after you show them, next trick would be, all right, I'm going to have you do some of these, see how it goes. Because I'll tell you, I've seen people that they're so interested in them, they have no fear whatsoever. And as soon as they have to reach into that cage with even if it's using tongs to grab a water dish, they start freaking out there. That's something you want to kind of practice ahead of time. And then leave notes, make sure your cages are properly labeled, leave notes indicating which ones are ones they should be. I mean, again, tell them they should be cautious with everything. Assume everything has a potential to bolt or be defensive. But, you know, label the the old world ones so they're aware of it, so they you know what's going on. Label maybe the ones that require moisture dependency so they know which ones those are. And then the video, I think, would be a great idea. It doesn't have to be something anybody sees, but have someone follow you around or set up a camera on your table and show them, demonstrate exactly step by step what you would do with each enclosure. Here's what I would do with this spider. Here's what, if you want, I mean, if you really want to, if you have a smaller collection, it probably wouldn't be that difficult to do something with you feeding every single one of them, which would be fantastic. They could literally put it on the table on a tablet or something or on their computer screen and walk it, have that you walk them right through it. But those are some things you can do to prepare. God forbid, should something happen health wise that you are taken out of the picture and you need somebody to maintain your collection. Cause again, they could probably sit and I've talked to people that things have happened. I talked to one guy a while back that left his collection, got stuck overseas for some reason, and it was gone an extra week and a half or something. And he was panicking, came back. They were all okay. But depending on the time of year, like in the winter time, if I wasn't here to add moisture to them, it could be a little more, a little trickier. Like there could be some issues with them drying out and some of them dying of dehydration. So you want to make sure you prep for all that ahead of time. Again, I do hope everybody stays healthy and this doesn't become an issue. But even as I'm doing this podcast right now, I'm realizing I haven't done all this stuff. I I think Billy could probably jump in and wing it because she spent enough time with me with the videos and everything. But I, I really should probably get her and probably my 17 year old just in case. You know, God forbid if both of something happens with both of us, there should be somebody else that can actually take care of this stuff. So we'll probably be going over this. I'll be doing the same thing myself. So maybe we can share in future episodes how we do it, or we could really have some fun and maybe share the instructional videos we put together for people, which would be kind of entertaining. Like uh, I. I, I I think that could be a lot of fun. Just, all right, so what did you put together as far as your contingency plan? What is your video to show people how you take care of your spires? It could be interesting. So anyway, that will probably do it for this one. A little shorter than I planned, but we've got uh, Billy's out shopping right now, apparently because um, (laughs) I'm guessing there's something out there telling people that the coronavirus gives you the squirts because they they can't find toilet tissue anywhere. The toilet paper is like a hot commodity nowadays. It's, It's absolutely amazing how people panic when something like this happens I, I when they told you to kind of grab two weeks worth of stuff I, I, the, see we're in Walmart and this person had two carriages of toilet paper now I'm sorry unless you have a family of like 50 how on earth are you using that much toilet paper up in two weeks what is wrong with you guys like that's something you got to get checked out because if you're having to wipe that much 
you, you, you need more fiber or something. So uh, she's out right now trying to find we've, – we've got a decent amount here, but we do have five people in our household. So she's just going out to make sure we have a little bit more just in case because now it seems like you can't find anything. And she just texted me and we can't even find potatoes because everybody's hoarding food now. So my lord, you can tell it's been a while since the world has had anything like this because people are losing their collective minds. I think, you know, obviously you want to be safe. You want to be careful. You want to be cautious. We want to make sure that we do things, you know, proactively to try to prevent this from blowing up into something bigger. But then let's also use a little bit of common sense as far as, you know, let's not go into Walmart and buy up every single, you know, roll of toilet tissue so that other people are running around without any. Because I'm thinking from years from now, we're going to talk about that virus that hit. And we're not going to talk so much about what the virus did. We're going to be talking about the fact that everybody's running around with dirty butts because there's no toilet paper to be found. Who knew? So anyway, I'm done. Enough of this tirade. It's just been a really weird week. And I'm trying to look at the fact that I'm probably going to have two or three weeks off of school right in my busy time of year. So it's been it's been surreal. So hey, guys, seriously, I hope everybody out there is staying safe, staying healthy, and hopefully you're you know occupying yourself with all the craziness going on. And I will, of course, be back next week with another episode. As always, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, feel free to check out my YouTube channel. If you'd like to check out the uh, website, which is picking up steam again. It's been great. I mean, I'm actually, it's, it does well. It's, it just kind of maintains itself now, regardless of if I'm putting up new stuff. But now that I'm throwing up some new stuff, I'm seeing some more traffic. It's great. So feel free to check that out as well. Um, that's That'll do it for me. I'm going to go now and I have to record a short video for a collaboration I'm doing. And then I'm going to probably sit down and relax for a little bit before doing some feeding. So enough of my rambling. You guys all have an excellent afternoon, morning, good night, work day, whatever. Stay safe and I'll catch you guys all next time.